Good day from Wall Street. This is Jack Marks for Wall Street Reporter. And uh, today I am speaking with Chris Castle. He is the CEO of Chatham Rock Phosphate Limited. Uh, the stock symbol in on the TSX is NZP. Uh, and uh, Chris, coming to us from New Zealand, uh, welcome. Yeah, Jack, thanks very much. Uh, nice to meet you, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today. Absolutely. Uh, so, Chris, you know, from from an investor's perspective, um, from what I've read about the, you know, your company, your, your stock really falls into that uh, you know special situation category uh, for investors. So, you have this resource project, which is you know potentially worth you know several billion dollars, but the company's market cap right now is, uh, I believe, around three three million or so U.S. Uh, however. You know, there's you have some very interesting catalysts in place, uh, which you know can unlock this value, and that's kind of what I'd like you to tell us more about. So, that being said, can you start off by telling us what your company does? Uh, yes, I will. The, the company is developing a marine phosphate deposit offshore New Zealand in an area called the Chatham Rise, which is it's a large undersea plateau. And the deposit is in the central part of that plateau in, in depths of water of about 400 metres. Uh, that sounds tricky, but it's not because the deposit itself is right on the surface of the seafloor and it can be easily dredged. Uh, and we have a technical partner, a Dutch company called Boscalis, that is one of the leading companies in the world that does that. They're a shareholder and we've been working with them for the last eight years. So it's relatively straightforward to extract that. The deposit is in situ value is somewhere around five to seven billion dollars uh, and we can extract it uh, and sell it um, on very very sound economics at the moment the, the sort of rock phosphate it is is a bit special too because it's a uh, very low cadmium and cadmium is quite good in batteries but not very good in people and so cadmium and phosphates is is bad for people and is being banned in various parts of the world including the economic the European Union at the moment so, so our, our rock is special um, and uh, will over time attract a premium uh, for that because of that characteristic. But that's not in our forecast at the moment. We, uh, it's The economics of this project are very attractive now without taking into account any premium relating to that. So the size of the resource is, you said it is $5 billion plus dollars. Yes, it's, there's 20, between 23 and a half and 25 25 million tonnes on the seafloor there. There's probably another 100 to 150 million tonnes around that, but it's lower grade, and, and so we would only develop that uh, once we've mined out the high-grade part of the deposit, which will take us about 22 years at the planned rate of production. Okay. So here's, I guess, here, here, here I guess is, is the focus of the interview. What, you know, what is in the way of you getting started on uh, extracting the phosphate there's really only one factor we i mean we any mining project needs to be able to, to identify the deposit work out where they're going to how to recover it and then how to sell the product we've got those three things sorted out and we also have a mining permit but in new zealand you need another permit called an environmental permit that's separate that's not just um, in most countries you have environmental conditions attached to a mining permit but we do it differently here we applied for an environmental permit back in 2015 and were turned down and our market capitalization then fell from 30 million US to about two 
Um, and subsequently, we have um, looked at what we did wrong last time, and we're in the process of reapplying and raising money to do that. So what's what's in our way is is getting that environmental permit the second time, and I spend most of my time uh, talking to investors, explaining why we think we'll get it, what has changed, and I can give you talk give you a lot more detail on that if you would like. Okay, so you know uh, we're actually we're going to attach the uh, the company uh, the presentation which has some of those bullets. Uh, on the interview page, but you know, for anybody that, that may not have access to that, maybe if you could kind of recap, um, kind of a brief history of you know why you didn't get the permit last time and why you expect to get it this time. What what is going to be different uh, this time around? I think I think last time the the people who made the decision were a decision making committee appointed by the Environmental Protection Authority here in New Zealand. Uh, they. It was, it was clear from their written judgment that they didn't understand much of the application, and that's really our fault, uh, partially because we obviously didn't explain the scientific. There was a lot of science in it, a lot of a lot of analysis work done, and it clearly it wasn't translated into the understandable English. The other the other factor which affected it was the decision making committee was comprised of people who were largely uh, not really qualified to be looking at a marine mining hearing. They were urban planners, an industrial chemist, uh, and a couple of other people who had no relevant skills. So um, so that's all changed. The, um, under, there have been a number, of, a number of changes which make it different for us. The, the law has changed, and, and so it now makes it possible that decision-making committee is not appointed by the Environmental Protection Authority, who are anti-development, but more by the Minister for the Environment, who has to have a more balanced approach. So we'll have a, a better qualified group of people looking at the project application. The second, the second thing which we're going to change is we've just identified shortcomings in our first application. Obviously, it wasn't easy to understand. So we've, um, we're going to focus a lot more on, uh, to be blunt, dumbing it down. Uh, so it's uh, able to be stored. It's not a series of scientific reports that, um, that, that nobody can get their mind around. Um, the, oper- the EPA's operating procedures have also changed. They've, um, they've started to work with applicants rather than seeing themselves as a gatekeeper. So that's a significant change over the last three years. And in New Zealand, the, the environment has changed over the last three years as well. There's a strong focus on water quality uh, and carbon emissions. And our project, um, our fertiliser actually reduces runoff into waterways by 80%. And the fact that it's mined here in New Zealand and not in Morocco means that the related carbon emissions are much lower, about 90% less. So those are, those are very, very relevant issues for our current our current government, and so they're the attributes which will be helpful to us. Okay. And, and the other thing... Which, I'm sorry, keep yeah, going. Sorry, I'm, go I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, the other thing which has changed is that um, in the past we had a number of... This is a public process and people make submissions either in support or against... Most of our supporters were the silent majority. They basically said nothing, thinking we would get the permit okay. Uh, so we didn't mobilise them enough to, to express their opinions. And uh, so that's going to change. And the other, the other very significant change is that the, that the First Nations people who live in the area where we're going to operate have had a close look at the project. And when they, they opposed it last time, and now... They've got. They're going to help us actually get the permit. So they're actually going to work with us. Um, this is the Maori. This is the this is the Maori people. Yeah. Maori. They, um, we re- yeah. They 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 recently um, we made a joint announcement with them recently, 
where they they basically said, well, we, subject to checking out all the environmental aspects, we would like to work with you to help you get the permit. And that's an un- unprecedented in New Zealand. Uh, there's an automatic opposition in most to most projects in New Zealand from not just Maori, but from anybody local. Yeah, the term not in your back, not in my backyard, I think it's probably an international phrase, NIMBY. Yeah. And, and in this particular case, we've got a case of reverse NIMBYism. You've actually got the people most affected by the project saying they want to support it. Of course, subject to making sure the environmental aspects are okay. But they're, they're listening and they'll work with us. And that's, that's a huge break forward. And that's, um, that moved our stock price 40% of the week, that announcement. And it's going to make it much easier for us to raise the, the capital we need to reapply. Why are they in, in favour now? And I think they're they're you know, rather influential in this process. I assume. I, I think I think uh, they have new leadership, uh, and the and the and the leadership is prepared to look at the project. Whereas um, quite often people in New Zealand oppose projects, sort of automatically without even thinking about about it. And so the the, the people involved now have had a look at the benefits uh, of. How they will benefit if this if is actually if this operation is near near there because they're on the Chatham Islands we're we're operating just just off their coast on well 200 kilometres away but we're closer to them than anywhere anywhere else and we're operating within their fishing areas which is um, which is a sensitive area uh, issue for them obviously so I think I think they just looked this this project absolutely stacks up if you look at it closely but people have tended to just automatically um, say no because. It's unknown. Um, that's. I think that's the difference. Okay. So you have. So it seems like the the political winds have have shifted. You know, in your favor now towards towards getting uh, towards moving towards this uh, environmental approval. Yes, definitely. And, and I guess another factor which has indirectly come into play is that we have discovered in our project area the presence of rare earths. Uh, and rare earths are seen by our present government as, as strategic. Uh, they will re- reduce our dependence on, on rare earths imported from China and other places. And so um, the, the, an extraction process which involves rare earths is seen as a really potentially as, as a big plus for us. So that's that's being helpful as well. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about the rare earths uh, a little bit later because that's 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 uh, uh, something that that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, but what is the um, what is the path right now towards uh, you know getting that uh, environmental permit? Like what uh, you know what do you need to do? How far away is it to uh, to get a hearing? Or what is the process? Maybe you can kind of walk us through that. Yeah. Well, the first the first thing is to raise the the cash we need to actually to commit to the process because once you get started we're employing a project director and we'll be having about 30 different scientific reports already done so we need that basically the amount required is about six million canadian i guess that's about what four and a half five million us once that's raised um, we push the button and it takes 15 months work to rewrite the reports and redo the application and that involves uh, getting some more data at sea and so that and that needs to happen during the summer here because the weather conditions are better. So 15 months. Let's let's say we raise the money by the end of June. 15 months later, the report, the application will be complete. It'll be submitted, and then it takes nine months for for the for the hearing process. So it's two years from let's say 30 June. So it'll be 30 June uh, 2021. 
So that's the path forward. At that point, we're fully permitted, and we, we then sign a mining contract with Boscalis, our Dutch partner, and they spend two years adapting a vessel uh, so it can operate at greater depths. So we're in production in June 2023. Okay. So I, I would think by then we'll be owned by someone else because the moment we're fully permitted, we'll be a very attractive asset to other fertiliser companies than what low cadmium, low cadmium fertiliser, for example. Okay, so uh, so so in order to get the environmental permit process started, you need to raise, uh, you know, roughly four, you know, four and a half million US, for, you know, to, to do all the paperwork to do the additional reports. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so you know, can you um, talk a little bit about maybe uh, you know brief history of the project? I mean, this has been a while in development. Yes. Um, well, it, it goes right back to 2007, 12 years ago. And in that year, um, phosphate prices uh, rose 900% around the world, um, driven by by uh, the Moroccan state enterprise, OCP, who can effectively control world trade at that point. And the reason why they control world trading prices is the fact that the US and the China and China both decided not to export phosphate anymore, but to keep it for themselves. So that put o- OCP... The, the Moroccan company into the same sort of position as OPEC did when it, when it, uh, when it, that cartel influenced oil prices going back a long time. And so, that point, uh, the phosphate price from forty dollars a ton to four hundred and eighty. And I was aware of this deposit in New Zealand, and so we applied for it, and we got the environmental permit a couple of years later, and then the mining permit in twenty thirteen. Since 2010, when we got the environmental permit, I've raised uh, 41 million New Zealand dollars, which is about uh, 27 US, to progress this project, to get the mining permit and to to apply for the environmental permit the first time. Uh, During that period, I've assembled a team of people who actually worked on the project when it was held by other people back in the early 1980s. So I've actually got three scientists with about 120 years accumulated experience in the deposit on on the team. So um, so we, we progressed happily through until March 2015 and were turned down. So that's sort of the background history. And since then, um, we've seen our market capitalisation collapse. We've struggled to survive, but, but we have. And now we're very much on an upswing with, for example, the recent announcement about the Murray support. Okay. And... You know, you mentioned uh, that uh, once uh, you know, once you have the the environmental permit in place, uh, you know, there's a possibility that uh, you you might be you know bought out by another uh, you know a major phosphate player. What um, you know, you know, in this kind of uh, area, what are what would a project like like yours be valued at with you know assuming the all the permits were in place? The, um, we've had um, probably six or seven independent reports done by people who are involved with helping us fundraise over the last few years, and the, the valuations are in the range of uh, 200 to 300 million US. Um, with the permits? For the project, with the permits. Okay, that's without any phosphate uh, so being pulled out. That's, that's, well, that's, well, that's, that's really, that's basically discounted cash flow analysis based on future cash flows. Uh, so I guess that's, that's, but if you look at um, recent movements in fertiliser prices and the lowering of production costs and so on, the, 
we're looking like making about $70 million US a year, so uh, a $300 million valuation is actually light. So I think ultimately when we're in production, the, the value is probably nearer to a billion, um, assuming that all these assumptions actually are still valid and in place. And uh, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, you know, that's the sort of uh, disclaimer I have, probably have to say. Um, <laughs> assuming all these assumptions actually happen, those are the sorts of numbers. So we're pretty attractive at a current market capitalisation of three, three million. And we are talking to other fertiliser companies now and other people who might help us get the permits because that gives them a very cheap entry into part of the project. So can you um, maybe talk a little, a little bit about the economics of the project? You know, assuming assuming the permit uh, the permits were all in place, how would the economics work? Maybe you can uh, discuss that. Well, this, that's what's really exciting is because uh, because this project is contract mined. Once we're fully permitted, uh, we, as I mentioned, the Dutch company that I've talked about before uh, will then go away and adapt a vessel and the and the way the contract with them is going to work is they're going to charge us uh, so much a ton to deliver the product on shore. And the, and the most recent uh, indic- indicative price was about $70 US landed on shore in New Zealand. Um, so we receive it for that. And the current indicative selling price based on different uses for the product is about two and a half times that. Uh, so you know, we're looking at uh, around about $165, $170 a ton. So those, that's the margin per tonne without, without any capital investment on our part. And that's the special part about this project. We don't have any capex. There's no development cost. We don't actually own any assets now, and we won't own any assets. We will just effectively buy the, the product from them at so much a tonne and sell it for more. So we're really a phosphate trading company with a mining permit. That's really what we are. We're not a mining company. There's no development capital. Uh, we're not going to have to build a processing plant or a mining camp or anything else like that. Uh, it's just it's a very very simple operation with no capex, and that's that's almost unique for for a junior mining company. Right. So that's I guess that's the trade off for being in your in your position of having to you know expend all this money for the environmental permit. You have you don't have any capex. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You basically, yeah, you're paying, you're paying an equity fee to get onto the top table, but after that, you feed for free. Right. So you make roughly one hundred and sixty-five dollars a ton profit. No, we, we basically think we, we, based on the, on the, on the, on the types of uses this product can be used for, because it's a, it can be used either as an organic fertilizer or as a triple superphosphate substitute. We think the weighted average selling price is about $165 to $170 a ton. Take off the $70 a ton of extraction cost. So it's say uh, somewhere between $90, $95 and $100 a ton gross profit. Then take off our operating costs, which would be nominal because we don't actually do anything. Um, and I'm sitting in, in an office which is 20 feet by 10, uh, and, and we'll be the same uh, once we're in operation. We'll have one individual who's handling the sales contracts to the fertiliser companies will have another guy handling the contract with uh, Oscalis. They'll have someone like me keeping in touch with investors and leading the company, and that's about it. It's a very, very lean operation. And so the economics are, are fantastic. So uh, so roughly $100 a profit per tonne? Yeah, and, and, I, and I didn't mention the production. Basically, it's 1.5 million tonnes a year, so... 
1.5 million tons a year, and you, and I think you mentioned it has a 20-year life, expected life? The 20, yeah, up to 22. Uh, if, if we can expand the existing resource uh, from... It's 22, it's 23.4 million tonnes at the moment, but with some small sampling, according to our 43-101 report, some small sampling will get it up to 35 million tonnes. So one and a half million tonnes a year, um, you know, it works out at about 20, 20, 22 years. Okay. So that's roughly, if I'm doing my math correctly, the the gross profit is uh, 150 million plus. Yeah. Um, well, um it it will make yeah, the gross profit is around about a hundred million uh, per year for for, for twenty two years. So you're talking what two point two billion? Okay, so a hundred million a year. Yeah, this is all US. Yeah. Okay, yeah. gross profit US gross dollars. Profit, yeah. Okay, based yeah. on current and, prices of phosphate. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And and um, those um, you, obviously there are more people on the planet. Uh, there's less arable land available. Um, and people are getting richer. So they, as you get richer, you, you eat meat protein, which uh, requires a lot more fertilizer to be produced. So the prognosis for fertilizer prices going forward is fairly positive. Okay. So um, this, sound, this sounds very compelling. So what? Um, so what's the next step forward? Are you are, are you raising capital right now? Yes. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in constant fundraising mode. Uh, if you have a look at the presentation, which is actually on our website. Um, uh, it shows the, the fundraising line, and then the, the graphic is just a continuous, continuous steady climb. Uh, that's really my full-time job at the moment. And as I said, I'm, I've been talking to a lot of private individuals, but also to strategic investors, uh, such as fertilizer companies or shipping companies, to come in and, uh, and partner us and help us raise that $6 million New Zealand or about $4 million US. Um, Quick in one hit, because we need to raise, we, we need to raise it in pretty much one hit, so I can uh, commit to the contracts required to go through the whole process. Okay, so it has to, it has so the, the, this four and a half million US that has to be done. You have to have it all in the bank or before you can make the commitments. For the yeah, pretty the, much okay. in the bank or committed. So so if it was, for example, partly paid shares or convertible notes or or some. Where, where I know there's enough certainty that we, we're not going to have to stop halfway through the project because we've run out of money. Because, um, you, you, you know, you can't have half an application. You've basically got to do it. And and then um, half of the cost is actually paying for the cost of the hearing. We pay the New Zealand government for um, to actually to, to, to review it. And um, and we would need to be able to provide evidence to them that we could pay for that. Oh, how much do you have to pay them for this hearing? Well, basically half of the money required. So you're talking wow. about two million US. Half of it's preparing the application, and the other half is actually paying uh, for the decision-making group, paying for the rental of the premises, paying for their lunches, um, paying for their independent experts. Um, it's a it's a it's a real user-pay system, but and so that's that's just the way it is. Okay, you know, it is what it is. Okay, that uh, I understand. Okay, so um, so right now you're in fundraising mode, and when do you uh, ex- expect to, um, to, uh, to to have the to have this capital uh, raised? It's really just a matter of meeting the right person or the right people. We've got one company doing due diligence on us now, um, but it's it's 
this is probably a bit crude as an analogy, but basically I kiss a lot of frogs. Right. And every now and then one turns into a prince or a princess and writes and writes a big check out. And that's happened two or three times in our project life. I mean, we have raised twenty seven million US and some of that was in big chunks. So it's just it, it could be around the next corner, Jack. Or, or it might be a month away or two months away, but one thing's for sure, we're going to keep moving until we do raise it. Okay, right. So, so you, you've actually, well, you have a track record of being able to raise money. So, you know, the odds are that you, you know, you'll be able to get this this uh, capital uh, uh, at some point uh, in the near future here. Um, so, yes. with, with that being said, um, Chris, can you you know tell us about your background and you know, maybe some of the other you know key members of your team? Okay, well, just quickly on me, uh, my background is, uh, I hate to admit it, but I'm originally trained as an accountant, um, but my first job was working for a, uh, for a group of companies that had a mining component, so I started getting involved and interested in mining and mineral developments back in the 70s. Um, subsequently, I've, I've, um, I left that group and formed a group of companies which had mining in, in them, and uh, later on, I got involved back in 1999 with a nickel project in Vietnam. I found the money for that listed on the Toronto Exchange, and 13 years later, we went into production. So we've now mined that deposit out. So I have a sort of a background in finding a project and backing it till it until it succeeds. Uh, beside me, uh, probably the most important person is someone who's joined the team relatively recently. is a woman called Renee Grogan, who will be the project leader for the environmental reapplication. She's a director of the World Oceans Council, is a consultant working in the marine permitting space and works for governments and, and uh, uh, NGOs and so on. So she's quite well respected on both sides. She's She's got a track record of achieving, uh, I think, nine different mining permits, uh, nine different environmental permits in a row. Uh, she's not used to failing, so she's now part of our team. Uh, I mentioned before there's... I've Three marine geophysicists on the on the team with a combined experience of about 120 years. They go back to when this project was first developed back in the late 70s and early 80s by the New Zealand and German governments in a joint venture. It didn't proceed, but they did all the work then. Uh, and then I've got a couple of one more environmental scientist and um, a geologist who looks after all our permitting work with the New Zealand government and is a guru on the actual deposit itself. So. That's pretty much it for the moment. We would, uh, when required, take on a marketing director full-time. We've had one part-time for a while who used to work for OCP, the Moroccan company, is, and who's developed our markets for us going back a few years, but we, he's not with us now because we don't need him. We're not actually marketing anything yet. So he'll, he'll rejoin the team. Um, that's uh, pretty, much, pretty much about it. I guess we'll need somebody to manage the contract with Boscalis, but we don't need them until... To we negotiate with them, which will be in mid 2021. So that's that's the team in a nutshell. It's it's pretty small and compact. Okay, so uh, it seems that uh, you know you're very tenacious. Uh, you mentioned this Vietnam project that took you 13 years to get into production. Yes, yeah, it did. It was, um, with you know, with, yeah, it, it's hard to get things done in some places. And there was no history of mining in Vietnam, uh, especially where we were. Uh, and the deposit was in a very remote, hard-to-get-to area. But we um, we had a good look at it. I, I got the right people involved, and uh, and we ended up raising 
I don't know, 150 or so million Canadian and uh, and developing the project, and it and it and it happened. It was the, ended up being the largest taxpayer in North Vietnam, employed 500 people, and was a great success. So that's very encouraging when you're looking at the next one. Okay, uh, one thing I I want to get back to because uh, I almost forgot is uh, you mentioned the the rare earths uh, components. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The rare earths, um, rare earths are not rare, as you know. They're all over the planet. But the the hard part is extracting them and 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 justifying the mining costs. And what's really interesting for us is we're already recovering the rock phosphate from the ocean and separating it and having it delivered onshore uh, for for an estimated seventy dollars a ton. Within that rock phosphate, there are fifteen of the seventeen rare earths. And the analysis we've done so far of that, uh, which was actually undertaken by the US Geological Survey, is uh, is that the, that the rare earths uh, within the phosphate are actually much more valuable than the rock phosphate itself. And so we are right, literally right at the moment talking to people about the technology involved in actually extracting it and using, trying to get the rare earths out as well. So that's that's exciting. But uh, the other the other um, aspect of that is that on the seafloor where we are in the muds, the seafloor muds, which the rock phosphate sits in, they contain vast quantities of rare earths as well. Um, and so, but we're not bringing that material to the surface and, and keeping it. We're only separating the, the, the nodules on the seafloor. So, so if we were to, um, if we were to try and mine those seafloor muds, it would require a completely different extraction process. And so, uh, we're, we're working through the, the value of what's in the muds as well. But that's. On, on um, the first analysis indicates that it's um, uh, the, 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 the material out there in the seafloor mud is worth perhaps a hundred times the value of the nodules. So you're talking, and I've already mentioned the sort of numbers the, the nodules are worth, the phosphorite nodules. So it's potentially very big numbers, but we, uh, it's worth nothing unless you know how to separate it, and that's what we're working on at the moment. Okay, so but you're saying if you're saying that the Potentially, the rare earths are worth more than this uh, phosphate. So it's more than yeah, yeah, more than a hundred, more than this hundred million a year that you can get from from the phosphate. Yeah, yes, quite a lot more. The number the number is so big that it's sort of hard to say it. So I won't. Um, but it's um, uh, it's rare earths and other and other quite a, quite uh, interesting minerals and elements out there, and the. Yeah, but the problem is we don't know how to separate them, and the mining system we have for the phosphates doesn't separate out that other material from the seafloor muds. It just it just sends them back over the side. Okay, uh, Chris. So let's kind of recap. Uh, what are the you know key milestones you have coming up? You know, over the next uh, let's call it uh, six months, twelve months, uh, that investors uh, should keep their eye on. Is it is it just this capital raise, or what else is there? Uh, that uh, is going to be the news flow. I think the capital raise is the is, is probably the critical one because um, a lot of investors are assuming that we'll never be able to raise the capital. So that risk is priced into into our market cap at the moment. They're just assuming we're not going to make it, and um, so that's that's the first big milestone. When when that when we do raise that that four million or a significant chunk of it, that that's and that's an event which I think will. Uh, which will excite um, our investors, uh, both existing and, and possible new investors. The other milestone, I think, is more more talk about working with the with the Maori people on, on our reapplication, 
and, the, and I guess the other one we've just been talking about is, is, is if and when we can report some promising results in terms of extracting the rare earths, uh, that's that's something that could be that could happen in the next few months as well. So those are those are sort of milestones that that are the most immediate milestones. Further down the track of actually getting of getting the, the, the environmental permit, as you know, is um, is two years away. So, but investors can look forward to more before that. I think. Okay, uh, you know. So in your in your um, in your opinion, um, this is my my last question here. Uh, so in your in your opinion. Uh, what would you say are the top three reasons why investors uh, should consider uh, your stock today? Well, we've got a very low market value compared with the potential value of the project. So the upside is um, people talk about a 10-bagger. This is probably a 100-bagger. So if, you, um, if you're if you an investor that invests in these sorts of projects, if you, you would normally have more than one of something like this. And so... The return on capital is very good. I think the fact that management is the largest shareholder group in the company should be is a factor that people should take into account. The, the third one I think is I've already referred to is the no development capital required. When we're permitted, we're not going to go back to shareholders and say, "Hey, now we need to raise 150 million to, to build a plant." We're just going to we're just going to wait while Boscalis adapts their vessel. We'll start operating, and then we'll just be banking a cheque every week. So. Uh, so I guess those are all sort of financially related ones. I guess the, the other important factor is that we have a very strategic location. Uh, we're in, we're on the other side of the world. The world phosphate prices would have to collapse to almost zero to, to make our project uneconomic because of the shipping costs. So I guess those are the key factors. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, Chris, I want to thank you. And, uh, you know, we look forward to uh, hearing more about the project in the months ahead. All right. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk, Jack. I've really enjoyed that today.